आना रसूल करीम अम्माबाद किताब रिफॉर्मेशन ऑफ कैरेक्टर फैजत मौलाना शाह की मोहद अख्तर साहब रहमत एंड वी डिस्कस्ड द टॉपिक ऑफ तोबा द नेक्स्ट टॉपिक दैट इज इज हाउफ फियर it is narrated that hazrat muaz radiyallahu anhu said the heart of a believer cannot be without fear and his fear can never become tranquil the heart of a believer cannot be without fear and his fear can never become tranquil what this means is the simple way to understand this allah forbid if somebody is facing some court case some major case and allah taala protect us if supposing things didn't go his way it could be maybe a life sentence maybe where there is a situation where there is a death sentence it could be a death sentence now that is the case that is now hanging over this person's head the case date is 2 years away so now for 2 years he is out he is on bail so to say so for 2 years he'll be walking around living his life he'll be doing his work he will be attending whatever family gatherings there may be sometimes if somebody's wedding taking place he'll attend that nikah he will be part of all the joyous occasions he'll be part of everything but ask his heart that deep down is he totally heedless or is this ever present at the back of his mind that some day this case is coming and i hope everything goes my way i hope everything works out for me so in the midst of whatever he would be laughing joking also sometimes everything will carry on that case is 2 years away but he is not without that one amount of fear in his heart that allah forbid if this doesn't go my way now that is the example that we need to understand of what is meant here this fear that is referred to here is not that kind and level of fear that now a person is terrified in a way that he can't function but that extent of fear which becomes a barrier between him and sin and this is what has been expressed in the dua of rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam and all these duas are very very great lessons when nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam on occasion this is the dua that he used to make in fact allahumma qsim lana min khashyatika ma tahulu bihi bainana wa baina ma'siyatik ya allah give me that extent of fear so fear is necessary but that extent of fear that becomes a barrier between me and sin now nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam is masoom he is sinless is teaching us is giving us this prescription and this lesson that we require this extent of fear that becomes a barrier between us and sin so one level of fear is the lower level of fear so to say for people like us maybe where the fear is the fear of punishment of akhirat punishment of the qabr punishment of jahannam allah taala protect us so this is one level of fear but as a mu'min progresses 
that fear becomes not the fear of punishment, the fear of love. It's a fear of love. When a person has love in his heart, then he's very concerned and he's, he's afraid of displeasing the beloved. He doesn't want to do anything that will displease the beloved. Now when the muhabbat of Allah Ta'ala and the love of Allah Ta'ala is settled in the heart of a person, then he will be afraid of displeasing Allah Ta'ala. Merely the displeasure of Allah Ta'ala would be an azab for him. If there was no warning of any other punishment, if the only thing was that Allah Ta'ala will be displeased, the person with muhabbat of Allah Ta'ala in his heart, that itself is azab for him. That his beloved Allah is displeased with him. So that becomes the fear. And that is the real aspect of what is khawf. But nevertheless, it starts off on this level. And therefore, in order to inculcate this khawf, this is the aspect that is then mentioned thereafter. The method of acquiring this is that one should at all times remember that Allah Ta'ala knows all our actions and statements and is fully aware of our outer and inner secrets. On the day of judgment, he will take our reckoning. He will take us to account on the day of Qiyamat. So now this fear of accountability. I have to stand on the day of Qiyamat, I'll have to give an account of all my deeds. Hadith Sharif, it is mentioned that a person won't be able to move from the spot that he is standing on until he answers four questions. According to one Hadith Sharif, five questions, but the summary of it is all in these four questions again. That an umurihi fi ma'afna. His life, somebody had 50 years, 60 years, 30 years, whatever amount of life he was given, how he spent this life. Then from that whole 50 years, 100 years, somebody spent also. Specifically, he'll be questioned about his youth. Because in a person's youth, he has that strength, that energy which Allah Ta'ala has blessed him, which the person who is now past that age, who is elderly, he doesn't have that strength, that abilities. So Allah Ta'ala has blessed something special in youth. So now how is this being used? Is it being used in the remembrance of Allah Ta'ala, in the obedience of Allah Ta'ala? So he'll be specifically questioned about his youth. Then his wealth. He'll be asked about his wealth before he moves from the spot he's standing on. لا تزول قدم عبد اليوم القيامة. His feet won't move until he asks these questions. And then his wealth, where he earned it from. Now, this is something we often, generally people are concerned about, that they must earn from a halal source. Allah forbid many are not very concerned to. Many a times we take things for granted. Many things become norms in society which are sin, which completely taint a person's earnings which make the income haram. But because they become norms in society, people take it for granted, this is fine. Whereas it contaminates everything. And then often, that is the reason that we just don't seem to have any uh, enthusiasm for righteousness, for deen. We see that permeating the whole family. Because that is the income that's coming. In the Quran Sharif, Allah Ta'ala commanded the Anbiya Ali Salam, the messengers of Allah Ta'ala. Ya ayyuhar rusul, kulu minat tayyibati wa amalu saliha. Imagine who is being addressed. But these 
manners of addressing the Anbiya Ali Musalam, Allah Ta'ala is saying, oh messengers, oh messengers of Allah Ta'ala, these are the greatest human beings that ever set foot on earth. Nobody, the whole world of people from the time of Adam Ali Salatu Salam until the last day till Qiyamah, all can get together besides the Anbiya Ali Musalam, all can get together, they can't come anywhere close to the rank of any Nabi of Allah Ta'ala. Now these personalities who are masoom, who are sinless, they are being addressed. Ya ayyuhar rusul, kulu min tayyibati wa amalu saliha. Eat from the pure things and do righteous actions. Now these masoom, sinless beings are being addressed and these are the true things that are being said to them. Eat of the pure things and do righteous actions. The link that this pure and wholesome food will lead to righteous actions. Now, these were masoom people, totally sinless. But that is where the emphasis lies. And that is where the lesson is. That they are being addressed to give the lesson to others that look, if these masoom and sinless beings are being addressed in this manner, then to what extent this pertains and applies to the others and the rest of the people. That is where the emphasis is. So that we take note of it and it jolts us that if the Anbiya Ali Musalam were addressed in this manner, that how much more this applies to us. So now this pure and wholesome food, this leads to righteous actions. That food a person consumes, that is what becomes blood in the body and that blood nourishes, it runs through every vein, goes through his heart, it nourishes the heart. Now that heart has been nourished from that which came from wholesome food. And the heart is king. The heart is where all the thoughts start off. So now there will be good thoughts coming. There will be the enthusiasm for righteousness. But Allah forbid if that food is contaminated with haram, is contaminated with doubtful income. So now that is going to be the nourishment. And that nourishment now is going to become that kind of blood in the body. That is going to nourish the heart. So it's all linked. This physical self and the spiritual self is all linked up. So to the extent that the spiritual self is healthy, it will keep this physical self also in the obedience of Allah Ta'ala. And to the extent that the spiritual self is ill, this physical self will also be very, very difficult to move it in the obedience of Allah Ta'ala. So, this was the point we were making, that many a times, this, things become the norm in society. People take it for granted. It doesn't cross a person's mind also that something is not right in this. Whereas, it's a problem. Once one alim was traveling, so he was coming back from Umrah, and he was at the counter at the Saudi Airlines, so now weighing in his baggage, checking in. So there was somebody else in a queue alongside. That person too, mashallah, in full Islamic garb, he's also coming back from Umrah. So now this person is overhearing the conversation. And now he's saying to the officer behind the counter now, that look, I'm very heavily overweight. So now since I'm very heavily overweight, now make a plan. And I saying, you help me out. Now this is now, how one thing leads to another and how our minds run off in another direction and we don't realize where we've gone. 
and we give it a dini hue, give it a kind of dini color. So what is he saying to him? You help me out, Allah Ta'ala will help you out. I'm heavily overweight, you help me out, Allah Ta'ala will help you out. So that officer replied, and he said, I help you out, Allah Ta'ala will punish me. Because if I'm helping you out, I'm helping you out in a way that I'm deceiving the company. Because I don't have this authority to, maybe they have a certain discretion, one, two kilos or something. The rest of it I need to charge you, whatever the overweight is. Now you are asking me to help you out, meaning I must now somehow do something and just uh, let it go. So now, who am I doing down? I'm not the boss here. I don't own this. It's not my prerogative and my decision in these things. I'm also an employee. If I help you out, what I'm helping you out to do? I'm helping you out to deceive those who have employed me here. So that is a deception that is against amanat. Allah Ta'ala won't help me out for this. Allah Ta'ala will punish me for it. Now this is a very common thing. This is just one example now. This is a very common thing which doesn't even cross the mind because it becomes a norm in society. That people all carry on like this. So therefore there can't be anything wrong with it. But if one analyzes it, then what is the issue? Once Hazrat Masha Ali Thanvi was traveling by train in India. So he was a very well-known personality. People knew him, even the Hindus, were, many of them in positions in government, etc. On these kind of, they were, because of his popularity, they were familiar with him, that who is he? So in any case, he boarded the train and uh, before he boarded the train, there was some extra luggage. Now there's like, when a person is traveling by plane, there's a certain allowance that you carry along, but above that allowance, then now you need to pay for it. So he had some extra luggage, somebody was sending something along with him. So he had that extra luggage, now that was excess weight. So he came to that ticket counter to now pay for that excess weight. He said this is an extra luggage, so weight, and whatever is the ex- excess, so then I've come to pay that and give me the ticket for that. So the person behind the counter knew him. He knew the personality, he was familiar, he was not a Muslim, but he knew him. So he, out of that respect now, because these things become norms in society, so he thought now, well, there's a very great personality here. Though this person himself behind the counter is not a Muslim, but he is respecting the person because of his, the person, whatever his status is and position is. So he's saying that now he wants to do him a favor because of his position. So he says to him, why, why are you worried about this? Don't worry about it. I'll sort it out. So now in order, one is now if, I just told him, look, please just take the money and let it be. But he decided to take the occasion to explain to this person something. So instead of just telling him off the cuff, look, please, just take the money. So he asked him instead, now just engaging him. He asked him, you said, okay, you'll sort it out. How you'll sort it out? He says, well, the person on the train, the ticket collector, he's going to come around, so he will check that this excess goods, has this been paid for. The issue is that that ticket collector is somebody who I know very well. So I will just tell him, look, this, this baggage or this parcel or whatever, don't worry about this, this is done. So, Hazrat replied that, 
very well you'll tell this ticket collector to just overlook this. But the thing is that uh, my journey is quite long. Now what happens is that, that from one point to the other, now from Phoenix to Durban, this ticket collector, he is, this is his route. Now if somebody is going from Durban further on, there will be another ticket collector there. So Hazrat just replied and said, but my journey is very long, I am going far ahead. He said, no problem, this ticket collector will talk to the next fellow. And then at that point, he will take over, so it will be the same. I said, but then I am still going to be going ahead. He said, but what ahead? Your ticket is still, for example now, he said, Peter Marisburg. So now this ticket collector will tell that person, that person's route is up to Peter Marisburg. So, it will be sorted out. He said, no, no, I am still going ahead. See, where are you going ahead? He said, I am going to the hereafter. And I am going to the hereafter, I will be questioned that what did you do? Did you deceive somebody here? Was this in accordance to Amanat? One person who had been given ijazat khilafat by the he came along one day, the Thanabon, and he brought along his son also on the journey. So, now that youngster was looking of a certain age. Now the, at that time probably still the same, that if a child is 11 years and under, then he pays half the ticket. And above 11 years, then you pay a full price, full ticket. So now, this was a small, smallish built youngster. So in any case, in the conversation as they met, he came, now he's introducing him, his son also, I brought my son along. So just as part of the conversation, as I asked, how old is your son? So he said, my son is 12 years old. When he said 12 years old, this was again just like a, just out of the blue, the next asked him that, you paid a full price ticket for him or a half price? Because he's a very small built child. He looked much younger than the 12 years. He said, well, he looks so small, I bought a half price ticket for him. I got a shock. He said, it seems like you have not yet even, even the wind of the sawuf hasn't hit you. The wind of the sawuf hasn't touched you yet. He cancelled his khilafat. I told him, you haven't learned anything yet. That this is sheer deception. And this deception is haram. How did you, if that youngster is 12 years old, he's 12 years old, he's above 11, you are supposed to pay the full price ticket. So this is sheer deception. Now these things become norm in society. To say cut corners, forget cut corners, we're cutting it right through the middle. Cutting it in pieces. You say, no, well, just, just trimming the corners a little bit. Even trimming the corners is bad enough. We're cutting it all around. Why? Because things become norms in society, so it doesn't cross the mind also that there's something wrong with this. And this is among the first things Nabi Wasallam prophesied and he foretold that Amanat will be destroyed. There will be, the concept of Amanat will be gone. But this is Amanat, it's a trust. Trust will get confined to maybe somebody gave me some money to look after that trust. Apart from that, the whole concept, and sometimes that too, the concept of Amanat is lost. So, this stems from the discussion about 
that this halal earnings, that to the extent that a person's earnings are halal, now these kind of things very commonly happen, people in business, in other avenues, certain things which become norms in society, these things are just done, well, it's fine. Whereas many of those things are tantamount and not tantamount are very, very clear deception. But people just carry on with it. For example, a person is selling his car. So now he's selling his car. So he needs to be selling the car as is and whatever is the reality of the car, he needs to inform the person. Now, this is a well understood thing that to the extent that the mileage has been clocked onto that vehicle, it reduces the value. So now one day one person is asking that uh, there are several people sitting there and all were dealing in cars. So one person is asking the, saying to the other that find out about the masla, about the chops. I'm thinking now these are all car dealers here and he's talking about chops since when they became butchers. <laughs> so wondering what is he talking about? So the next person said that often we now have to buy cars from somewhere, but the people are, the chops he's talking about is that they're chopping the mileage, they're turning the clock back. So another person was sitting there also dealing in cars, he said, wow, oh, forget about the chops, now they're taking the whole back leg. There's no more chops. But the point that was brought forward is that this has become like a standard thing, illa mashallah. And people don't take a second, don't give it a second thought that what have I done? Is this something permissible or is it haram? Is this in keeping with the dictates of amanat? Or am I putting the person in a deception? Is this qiyanat? Now the thing is now a person sold his vehicle and he did this, Allah forbid. And now he earned, he, mashallah, he's feeling very happy about himself that mashallah I earned a big profit because now the mileage was looking very low. So this person was ready to buy it at that price. So I made a very good, very good deal, and a good profit. So now he's very happy about the profit he made. But is that not completely tainted and contaminated? Because it came with deception. So now that food is going to be eaten. That is going to be used to buy his food. That food is going to be eaten. That is what's going to go into the stomach. That is what's going to become the nourishment. In the Hadith Sharif, Nabi Islam says, Ayyuma lahmin nabata min suhtin fannaru awlabi. That flesh which was nourished by haram, then the fire of Jahannam is more worthy of it. So that is in the akhirat, the fire of Jahannam is more worthy of it. But the effects of that already start happening in dunya, in the sense that this body now starts moving in the direction of Jahannam. How? That it's now only inclined towards sins. It's only inclined towards evil. This is a very sensitive point. It's not something to make a blanket judgment, but our principal as Mufti Ibrahim Sahib mentioned this. I heard it directly from him. There was a very elderly person who I know very well, knew very well. He passed away a long time ago. Haji Siddharth from Stanger. He used to be the, in, while he was alive, the Amir of the Jamaat in Stanger. He passed away in Jamaat in America. So he had mentioned Mufsab directly. Now this is talking about maybe he passed away when I was still in my schooling days. 
So this story might be maybe over 50 years ago's incident, maybe even long before that too. That he had gone for Hajj. And when he got there, now obviously that those days wasn't so easy like it is nowadays. People decide today they want to go for Hajj. Now okay, with this little bit of the issue of accreditation and so on. Otherwise before this accreditation came, person decides sometimes he wants to go for Hajj and tomorrow he starts doing his booking the third day is gone already. Many a times this happened like this. But in that time it was not so straightforward and easy. So people, even financially too, it was not everybody that could just afford it. Very few people could, comparatively very few people could afford it. So he is now planning, mashallah, and a person very involved in deen, the work of deen. So he was now building up this spiritual self of his. He's building up, he's going for hajj. And mashallah, finally the time came. And he went now. He reached Makkah Mukarrama. Now he's there, now he's over the time that he's preparing and as the time is building up, this enthusiasm is growing, everything is coming at a height. Now he's right here. He's landed in Makkah Mukarrama. And now suddenly he's finding himself very, very down, very low spiritually. Everything he's doing, he's performing his salah, he's doing everything, he's not getting involved in any wrong. But that enthusiasm, that drive, that was growing all the time, back at home, as the days were getting closer, suddenly that whole drive has died down. That whole enthusiasm has just fizzled out. And he's feeling very spiritually lethargic. Oh, he's doing everything, mashallah. And now several days are passing and this is, and a person who, now he knows what his purpose is, why he's come here, and he's come to take something, so now, somebody who's come there for shopping, somebody who's come there for sightseeing and touring and all these things, he'll carry on like nothing happened. It won't even affect him. He won't even feel that anything happened. But somebody who's been growing this whole enthusiasm over time, and now he comes and finds something is not happening here. What's going on? So there was a very great alim at that time, based in Makkah Mukarrama. The Ma Badri Alam Sahib, was he Madina Munawara or Makkah Mukarrama? can't remember exactly. So any case he came to him, or oh, it was one of the other senior ulama of the, who was based in Makkah Mukarrama, Mawlana Ghulam Rasul Rahmatullah He came to him and he told him that, look, I, I can't understand what's going on. This is the situation that I came with from back home as the days were getting closer and this enthusiasm was just growing. And then finally now I've landed here and I'm just feeling completely down. So, all Hazrat, Ali said to him, that look, don't buy any food out. That's all he told him. You do what you can on your own, simple food, whatever, cook your own things. Uh, he didn't say that, and that's the part I mentioned initially, the very sensitive thing, that uh, we don't make any blanket judgments. But, it's a very big lesson for us. And this we're talking about 60 years ago, maybe 70 years ago, Allah knows. All he told me is, just avoid this. Do your own thing. He says, I took that advice and I just started eating what I was cooking on my own. If I wanted to eat something, I bought it myself. If it was something, maybe some meat he wanted to eat, some chicken or something, he slaughtered it himself and he cooked his own food. 
Or perhaps he was alone, or just however, so that too was an effort, but he undertook that effort. He says it took two days for everything to just normalize. And everything just came back to the, what, what he was hoping it would be, and that enthusiasm, that shock, that drive. Now, outwardly, these things don't seem that, where's the link, what's the issue? But this is a very deep thing. And this is, as mentioned in the Quran Sharif, this ayat Allah Ta'ala is addressing the Ambiyani Musallatu Salam, addressing the messengers of Allah Ta'ala, Ya ayyuhar rusul, kulu minat tayyibati wa amalu saliha. Now unfortunately nowadays, everywhere, any place just becomes fine to eat, any place becomes fine to buy from, whether the person is a reliable person or not, where is he sourcing these things from, Forget being a reliable person or not. We are not even sometimes conscious whether it's a Muslim or not. This incident we mentioned many times before also. One person in the days when still it wasn't even uh, allowed to stop anywhere in the free state for a person who was not a white. It was still the apartheid days. Now one Muslim person was traveling past. So he stopped at some uh, filling station or whatever. So he went inside to buy something. So now when he went to buy, you see, they're selling all kinds of things. They're all meat products and whatever else also. It was like just a, like a convenience store. But now this had some other part to it also. All meat products, whatever they're selling. Now this is the apartheid days. So there were no non-white living in the area. So there was perhaps like a guarantee you could give. There was, Allah, mashallah, Allah knows, there was no Muslim in the area also. Now you see one big halal sign. Just written the halal. He is 100% sure this person is not a Muslim. The shop is not Muslim owned. Nobody working here is Muslim. There's no Muslims in the area. And now there is this halal sign here where this became halal from. So he decided to ask the person that, uh, he asked him differently a bit. That uh, the sign, what's this sign? So this person replied, it's a lucky charm. He says, a lucky charm. So what do you mean lucky charm? You see, you know, somebody told me, you put this here, you'll see your sales will increase. So a lot of people passing by like you, they also buy. Now this is his lucky charm. So they saw any word there, that word was good enough. So especially if a person sees some Arabic writing, then whether he knows what that means or not to, but because it's Arabic writing, then that's 100%. One person bought a can of canned fish. He bought it in Mukarrama, canned fish, but it was coming from, it was imported from somewhere else, from one of the European countries. Now it's canned fish. But now on it was a halal stamp. And was written there in Arabic. Now somebody who doesn't know Arabic will just say, mashallah, something. It's a can of fish. So maybe okay, the halal stamp was that maybe no other ingredients of any sort, preservatives or something has been added to say that now this is something hasn't been uh, contaminated or anything haram possibly on that note but in Arabic writing is written there مَذْبُوحَةٌ ala tariqatil islam this has been slaughtered according to Islamic rights <laughs> now there's fish inside and now there is this writing mashallah in Arabic nicely inscribed مَذْبُوحَةٌ ala tariqatil islam this has been slaughtered according to Islamic rights. Who slaughtered that fish? When they slaughtered it? Did he face the Qibla or not? We don't even know. So now, even the fish also got slaughtered. How it got slaughtered? That stamp now is 
So that stamp on anything, does it mean how much is it worth? If that stamp could be on a can of fish, and that stamp is on something else, on some can of beef or something, so what is the worth of that stamp? Till a person doesn't know how reliable, what is coming from, where is coming from. So we can't take chances in this. Any outlet, the rule that we should abide by, obviously a Muslim-owned outlet, Again, without passing judgment on anyone. But for our caution. Our caution, if somebody, to start off with, this is not a healthy thing also. But once in a while, something, somebody wants to buy something, whatever. A Muslim-owned outlet that is owned and run by somebody who is, to the extent that we know, conscious of deen. Apparently, and in his actions. Allah Ta'ala knows the reality. But somebody who is conscious of his deen, you can see the signs of deen on him and you apparently know this person, mashallah, is conscious of deen. That is the least amount of caution we can take. Otherwise, just anywhere and everywhere, this is a very dangerous thing. It's something, there have been some really very, very shocking incidents sometimes that have been found where Muslims, unfortunately, who lost the plot as they say, lost track of deen, some person was in one place far away from here, in another province, he was supplying chicken to many Muslims, but then over time somebody found out that this person was going and buying all the dead chicken from some white farmer. Now because it had died on that farm, every now and then, every other day, half a dozen chicken would just die, whatever. This next morning they wake up, they find some chicken lying dead. So now it's already dead. So that which would have been sold for a certain price, now it'd be sold for a quarter of the price, maybe less than a quarter of the price. Uh, he was going now because it was just, just died overnight. So now it died overnight, so now it's quickly, if it's skinned and defeathered or whatever, you won't make the difference out. Because it's just a couple of hours now, perhaps. And he was supplying these kind of chicken. So now people will take it for granted, the Muslim person, but there was no sign of any deen in him. There was no sign of that this person, nobody saw him in the masjid. He had a Muslim name, inshallah he's a Muslim also. But he had the same thing, these things become norms sometimes. Small things become, apparently what we call small things become norms. Then people get into these kind of serious things. Now this is beyond all limits, but person is just going on with it and now he's supplying so many Muslims and now they were buying on the trust that this is a Muslim person, he's probably slaughtering it himself, whereas he's going and buying the dead chicken. So this is a very, very important thing that we be very conscious about our food, what we eat from where we eat, especially in the time that we live, this has become a part of the culture of society, that this eating out culture, this has so many other negatives a person really wants to eat out, as they say, one is that kind of eat out, which my Ustad the example he gives, or the way he explains it, you know, eat out, then cook the food in your home, and go eat it in the garden. You'll eat out. That's the best eating out, because you cooked it yourself, the wholesome food, that which was cooked by somebody who, inshallah, they recited Bismillah, they probably made some Besides some tasbih during the course of that cooking process, all this has its good effects in that food. But other than that, 
Then go and buy it from some reliable place, as we mentioned, according to that caution, and go eat it somewhere else. That environment is not conducive. That environment is not conducive. You want to buy it, buy it, go and eat it somewhere else. Eat it in a place that's conducive. Go take it back home and eat it. So, in any case, this culture, unfortunately, has become so ingrained in society that if a person hasn't eaten out once a week, twice a week, it becomes like something very, very serious has happened. But in any case, what the point is, that we cannot take chances in this regard. This has become part of the culture, but we can't allow this culture to uh, affect our deen, affect all our amal, and taint our ibadat, because this will now affect everything. So this is the aspect that we were discussing this issue about. the aspect of food, halal food, how cautious we have to be. And then sometimes, even people in Atikav, in many masjids, this has become the situation. Many masjids, especially in the Oport area, people keep talking about that because at every other 10 meters apart, there's an eating out place. So now, the standard thing becomes that, that restaurant food is ordered, but now from which restaurant again? So, some might be very reliable and some are totally unreliable. So now where is a person buying from? Because somewhere the taste is better, people just buy. So therefore many places made this the rule, because now you don't know what's coming into the masjid. And then everybody else is now being made to shade. One is somebody bought it and ate it himself, that's bad enough. And now he bought it from a totally unreliable place and he's sharing it with others in the masjid, in Etekaf. So many masjids made it a rule, perhaps that's the rule here as well, that no take-out food will be brought into the masjid, something from home, etc., by all means, taking care of the masjid without soiling the masjid in any way. Somebody was sent some food from home, by all means. But buying from out now, because who's going to now go and investigate whether somebody bought it from a reliable place or not? So this has become the rule in many masjids. So in any case, that's a separate matter altogether. The principal issue, that this is something we have to be very cautious about. So, we were talking about this, started off on the note of the discussion on this khawf, fear, fear of Allah Ta'ala, fear of akhirat. Fear of Allah Ta'ala, the real fear of Allah Ta'ala is the fear of displeasing Him, which is the fear that emanates from love. It's a fear that emanates out of the muhabbat of Allah Ta'ala, that my Allah must not become unhappy with me. Because that is the greatest azab for a love of Allah Ta'ala, that is Allah Ta'ala is displeased with him. So, this khawf is also something very necessary, that a person has this fear. So his heart cannot be without fear. There is a certain degree of fear that should be there. Either it is of that first category, that first category is the example of that case hanging over the head of that person. So the fear of punishment, but that should grow. And that should become, grow to that level, where it is that fear that emanates out of love, out of the muhabbat of Allah Ta'ala. Allah Ta'ala, give us a tawfiq. Inshallah, we'll continue tomorrow. Subhanallah, bihamdihi, subhanakallah, bihamdik. Ashhadu an la ilaha illa anta, astaghfiruka.